Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. To convince a child to keep walking, try switching roles with them. Let the child play the role of the parent. They'll immediately do what you want them to do. You are raising in your home people that the Bible is very clear about their status. They need to be converted. Not just a conformity of their behavior. They need a transforming encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate priority. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we're off. It's the Wretched Radio Mail Call Delivery Bag Q&A Infotainment Nationwide Extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. Oh, uh, scratch the Todd Friel. I'm Oliver Hardy. At least that's what my tie looks like. And this is Wretched Radio, hoping that you will send questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. You ever seen those novelty ties from a ministry? This particular tie that I happen to be donning today has the faces of four men. Three I know, the other one, a mystery reformer. You got yourself Martin Luther on the bottom of the tie, which... I have to confess to you, this novelty tie feels like it might have been made in the 80s. They had to put Luther's head on the bottom because, well, it's a little wider than the other fellows. And then you got yourself uh, John Calvin, John Knox, and then a guy who didn't have much hair or a beard. And I don't know who he was, but apparently he's a reformer. He's on my tie and it's a little short. I'll be honest with you. I'm feeling a little self-conscious about this, Jimmy. Don't I look like Oliver Hardy? <laughs> well, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Please send your emails to idea at wretched. Don't forget when you read the reformers, don't forget their context. Don't forget Europe and what it was like and the history that preceded it. One of the things that I've learned, I'll start with myself when it comes to assessing situations, understanding culture, how to apply theology to life, that I'm informed by the air I breathe, the cultural air that I intake constantly. It has an effect how we grow up, our attitudes. Did you come from a single parent family? Did you have a mom and a dad? How many siblings did you have? How much money did the family make? What did you live in? What were you allowed to view? Where did you go to school? All of that stuff gets into me and you and even the reformers. And that really is why one of the first principles of biblical hermeneutics is I got to lose all of that. And it ain't easy because it's really intertwined into the fabric of my thinking. And so when you read really anybody It shouldn't be the only thought that you have, but it should absolutely be a thought. When these guys wrote what they did, what was going on? What what was happening in their country? And consider that because it might help you to understand why they wrote what they did. Please send emails to idea at wretched.org. What did you say? Biblical Herman? What? Herman I know. I'm telling you. It is. I know it's a big word. Oh, this hurts. Tom Hammond. (laughs) That's another big word. (laughs) Oh, it's going to get worse. (laughs) 
<laughs> I learned something from him. He was talking about church unity and how you bring a church together so that everybody's on the same page. And his solution to that challenge is everybody should be on the same page hermeneutically. You're not going to read the page the same if you don't have the same principles for how you interpret scripture. So if your church is struggling, you could be bringing them together by teaching them hermeneutics. So when they read a Bible verse, they have some of these principles in view, they apply them, and you should pretty much come up with the same conclusion. You don't have a shared hermeneutic. Look out. That's, this is why full-blown movements grow. Denominations are born because they don't agree on how to read the Bible. What is the book? How do we handle it? Read a response, authorial intent. How do I understand different genres of literature? Is God indeed divine ruling the universe? All of those things are crucial. You don't have those in common. You will not have unity. There's another thing that would be helpful inside of hermeneutics. And that is your central interpretive motif. Your central, and you have one. I, I, I know you're maybe not familiar with the term. We haven't used it for quite a while here on Wretched Radio, but it is a term that really applies to all of us. When you think of God, what do you think of? When I say the word Jesus Christ, what attribute prop pops into your brain? That's going to drive your interpretation of the Bible. And that can be both helpful and a little bit dangerous. Because you, you, you could be imbalanced, or you could overlook some things, or you could say those things don't need to be because I am so focused on this. But we do have one, and I think it's healthy for us to have one because it does remind us of the main thing. Jimmy, your yes. central interpretive motif is? Your brain. <laughs> my brain is your central interpretive motif? No, my brain. Oh, your <laughs> but what does your brain produce as when you think of God, the the first thing that this kind of like a word association. Oh, I guess we're not supposed to be doing that anymore. Word association. I say God, you say what attribute? Holy. See, that's that 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 would probably be mine too. Yeah. Holy, because that encompasses. I think that's like the umbrella word. Remember, God isn't parts. He's not a puzzle. He's not put together by pieces of attributes. He's one. But if you had to pick a moniker that described all that God is, I think you'd have to go with holy. Now, that is going to affect how you read the Bible. For instance, you get to the tough teachings of Jesus, and there's a lot of them. And he starts talking about the eternality of hell, that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you could go, whoa, uh, if my central interpretive motif is love, that doesn't seem loving. It's holiness that helps us to realize that's right. That is fitting. That is exactly proportionate to the crimes that have been committed against the sovereign. Your central interpretive motif should be determined. It should be used as a part of your hermeneutical approach. And you would do well to try as best you can in the context of your local church uh, to teach a hermeneutics class. Jimmy, guess what's coming next? What's that? A plug. <laughs> Herman Who, available at wretched.org. It is 13, 11, 12 lessons, something like that. You can do as few as four or five, I think, and it will help your church to have a unity. Let's go to the mailbag, shall we? Yes, we shall. And we've got 
multiple messages, multiple emails on this subject. Um, but last week we had a discussion on using euphemisms. Ah. And, yes. And, and so several different people uh, want a little more clarity um, using those use, euphemisms. Dang, darn, oh, my gosh. Right. Um, how should we choose our words? Yeah. I, in, I think there's some rules. And I think there's a little bit of room to fudge on the ends because we need to remember who defines words. The answer is the culture. For instance, Jimmy, you yeah. know, I'm I'm looking at the way you're dressed right now and I'm a little sus. <laughs> you know I've, what that is? I've got teenagers, so I absolutely know what that it's is. It's suspect. Right. Because we're so exhausted as a culture, we can't spit out the second syllable. Right. I mean, we're lazy. Sus. I can't do no more. So we've come up with all sorts of slogan or slang and jargon. And it's the culture that colors those words. And we need to rem when somebody writes a dictionary, we watched a movie about this. The first English, I think it's the Oxford Dictionary. It was the story about the fellow who headed it up, who actually utilized the skills of the world, sending out a message to newspapers. Hey, Great Britain wants to create a dictionary that will guide the language because language changes Thus forth, so on, setteth, the kingeth. We, we, we used to use language to, because it morphs and it changes. Ended up using a criminal who appeared to have some mental issues, but he could go find that word and how it was used back throughout time. So they used literature to go looking for their words. Now, they didn't have the Google machine. They didn't have any sort of software. They actually had to you know read the books. And then they would find the word. How is it being used by whoever the how did Shakespeare use it? How did Milton use it so that they could determine this is what it meant then? This is what it means now. And the same thing is true with words today in our culture. They take on different meanings. And, and we're seeing that change. It's one of the words that I really dislike. It's uh, uh, what you do to a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop. That word is being thrown out as what to describe life or how hard something is. It used to be a coarse word. Not so much. We're in a transition time. I would say this rule would apply anything that is potentially coarse or if there's enough of a generational alive that esteems it as being coarse, we don't use it. And as for minced oaths, which are ways of using God's name or theological ideas by simply changing a name, in, where does dang, I think that's pretty obvious where that comes from. And historically, that's been considered, well, you can use that word theologically, but don't use it to express anger or disgust. That's the rule. So if it sounds like it might be God's name, darn is another one. Jesus is another one. It's the name of our Lord. Christians, our mouths should simply sound different than the world's. There's the rule and the, and the fudge factor. This is Wretched Radio. Good news, there are actually thousands of pastors in Germany. The bad news is they're not very equipped. 
Theological training in Germany and in Europe is so needed because you don't really get any formal training, not in a church or anywhere else. Being at a PMAI training center, probably the first time that you ever get any formal training how to understand scripture, the church, and how to apply it in your own life. Germany is not the only nation that has a drought of qualified pastors, but the Masters Academy International is changing that one country at a time, currently in 17 nations, with many seminaries, with graduates from the Master's Seminary, training indigenous men to rightly divide the word of truth. Would you please consider adopting your own seminary in one of 17 nations? Please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. Question, do you also watch TV? All right, don't mock me. That's a legitimate question because some Christians don't and that's okay. But I did want you to remember that Wretched is also on TV. 135 Christian networks to be exact. Wretched TV is hosted, of course, by Todd Friel and is a daily 30-minute program containing live witnessing encounters and conversations about tough theology stuff. You can find us on TV, our website, wretched.org slash TV, and also on Roku, Amazon Prime, Truly, and Amazon Fire TV. And it's only possible by the kindness and generosity of our gospel partners. So would you prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? You can help us continue making Wretched available to everyone and also help us in our mission to reach the lost, equip the saints, and strengthen the local church. Find out how you can become a Wretched Gospel Partner just by visiting wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Hey, Tomorrow Club supporter, this message from Paul Marty, the director of the Tomorrow Clubs, is just for you. You know, it's been more than 25 years now since my wife Cindy first brought leaders and kids together for the very first Tomorrow Club. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been touched. We're grateful for all the ways you help kids in forsaken places learn to follow Jesus. Thank you for your support of the Tomorrow Clubs, $30 a month, Disciples 30 Kids in Eastern Europe and now in Africa, where Tomorrow Clubs anticipates they could be opening up 100 new clubs in a year. Would you please consider becoming a Tomorrow Club supporter? Kids clubs that meet in forsaken places, they get loved on, they hear the gospel, they memorize Bible verses, and they're getting saved. To support your own Tomorrow Club, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Books of the Bible God told Hosea the prophet to marry a prostitute to illustrate Israel's unfaithfulness to God and God's faithful love for Israel. When Hosea's wife returned to prostitution and was enslaved, he bought her back and loved her. When you are mistreated and abandoned, remember that is how you treated God. But if you turn to God, He will forgive you. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Emails, send your emails here to idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, you just said something that might help every single church. Uh, Yeah, so going back to the conversation that we were just having about hermeneutics, um, I completely agree that a church should have the exact same hermeneutic. Everybody in the pew should think the same way, should look at the Bible the exact same way. And most churches, not all, but most churches have new member classes. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree with that. But after the new members class, 
I'm of the opinion that every new member should then go through five, six weeks of hermeneutics. Uh, wouldn't that make a difference? It would. because Before you let them into a class, start right. raising their hands, spewing all kinds of bad information. Well, because the new members class, you know, you know what the church believes, you know what the statement of faith is. So you get a pretty good idea of what you start to believe, but you don't know why you believe it. And this would be so helpful. Yeah. I, I think it could solve a lot of division and problems. Mm -hmm. If we, Now, let me let me just push it a step further. Okay. How's about not after the members class, but before you become a member, we need to understand your hermeneutic. That's that's a good Good idea, too. The front door should be much more difficult to enter than to exit through the back door of a church. Absolutely. It, we just, we got to, and, and you know what? I think people actually like it. I do. I know that there are some people, but frankly, they probably would run away anyway. There are some people who are like, oh, if you're going to have rules on the thing, I'm out of here. Okay. But I think that there's actually a lot of people. This isn't why we should do it, because that would be pragmatism. But I think there's a lot of people who would go, okay, we've been looking for something serious. Okay, uh, they're not messing around here. I think a lot of people are actually attracted to that. Jimmy, I've come up with some other minced oaths, euphemisms okay. that, that are used to see if it is the type of language that a Christian should use. All right. So That's typically, by the way, it's either to express disgust or excitement. That's usually right. Do you do you remember when OMG started? Mm. A lot of people rightly were like, uh, no, I think uh, some some I think it was the the, uh, the um, HGTV channel. Uh, that's kind of our last resort channel. Yeah, <laughs> because we just can't do the Hallmark channel. Just can't just just it's so hard. I know a lot of people love it. I just can't. And I understand why people are attracted to it. You, you want to go someplace in your brain that isn't this. <laughs> I totally understand increasingly. I think Hallmark is increasingly popular as the culture progressively devolves. I think they're proportionate. You put that on a graph. I think my numbers are right on this deal. We're watching the HGTV, or at least it's on. And somebody, you don't want to miss this show and all the OMGs. Oh, isn't that cute? We just use it like, we just toss it out like that. A Christian, I believe, should have a higher standard, especially regarding God's name. So to express excitement or discuss, there's nothing wrong with those things. I think we just really should think them through. So for instance, here's an oldie, Dagnabbit. I think we know where that comes from, don't we? Yeah. It's an oldie, but it's uh -huh. it's we've just changed a curse. Mm-hmm. To make it more palatable. I just think a Christian should shun that. Here's one that I think is that is more challenging. Holy smokes. Mm. All right. Now, that actually could be minced in that. It's changing another S word that is typically used with holy, which doesn't belong next to the word. It could be that. But just the same. I think in culture, I don't, I'm not sure anybody would make that connection. But... Should we be using the adjective holy before something profane in this instance, or should we be using it at all because the word is describing something set apart, different, loftier, weightier, higher, heavier? Should we be bringing it down as an expression of either disgust, surprise, excitement? I, I, I just think, okay, here's one. And I, and I don't think 
that I can find a connection of this word. Ah, oh, nuts. Hmm. I, 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 that doesn't sound like anything to me. Does it sound like anything to you? No, I don't think so, but. You don't like the word? I, I don't personally use Why? it. Why? Why don't I use that word? Yeah. I don't know. I just never have. It, it, uh, is, is it just a way of going, oh, that's crazy? You know, nuts, crazy. Probably, and I don't, right. yeah, you know, I don't find anything wrong with it uh, personally. But I just, but you're going to judge me. That's fine. I, I do. That's fine. I judge you so much. All think, the time. think through your laundry list of expressions. Just work through them, and dis- discipline yourself to rethink how we utilize expressions because we want to have mouths that are speaking. Good things, lovely things, worthy of praise things. And we don't even want to get close to the land of euphemism and minced oath. Please send your emails to idea at wretched.org. All right, Todd, this comes from Jared, who says, I remember an episode a while back where you talked about the things we enjoy here on Earth and why it's not unreasonable to think we would enjoy some of those things in heaven. Is there anything in the Bible that will allude to the things we would enjoy in heaven? Yeah, Randy Alcorn. Uh, yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's lots of illusions. Okay, so for instance, this staggering picture that Luke paints for us. Luke, by the way, you need to remember his themes, what what Luke is driving at, what he's going for, what he's trying to present, how he is presenting an orderly, although non-consecutive series of events in order to do what? Well, he had, a, he had a number of themes. Jesus, what is what is he like? Who is he? Is he trying to prove that he's God? Yeah. Is he demonstrating through miracles his healing power? Yep, all of that. Temple, the temple, Jerusalem is a focus of Luke. So inside of Luke, you see a story of what heaven is going to be like. There's going to be a banquet. You see that, by the way, in Revelation to boot. But but you see a banquet. You know, it's a it's a picture to describe the goodness of God because the waiter at the banquet of this meal is Jesus himself. The king serves the servants. Now, I grant you, and this is why I think Randy Elkhorn does a bang-up job in his book, Heaven, of saying, based on this, we might conclude that. Not definitively, but why would Jesus use that as an illustration if it didn't have some grounding in truth most illustrations do no illustration is perfect that should be another warning for us but it must contain an element of truth otherwise it doesn't work at all jesus described so why wouldn't we think we're going to eat food why, why wouldn't we think that we are going to enjoy meals and fellowship and friendship and a in a deep unity with one another. And so as you read through the Bible and you see anything about heaven, you could ask yourself the question, what are the implications of that? And please note the heavy emphasis on implications. Randy Alcorn never goes, this is definitely, you're going to be playing tennis, not golf, tennis. That's all you're going to be. doesn't do that. But I think he asks a question that is reasonable. I wouldn't be dogmatic on it or start a denomination, but why would there be less good in heaven than there is on earth. There, it just makes no sense. No. It's a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to be purified. It's, it's going to be run rightly. We're finally going to have a wonderful theocracy. Everything will be good and right. Look at how much would be missing from that. 
And this, I, I think the distorted understanding of heaven really does. It's influenced by the paintings we've seen, the TV shows. You're going to be sitting. Uh, what was uh, what was that? Warren Beatty, I think, was the first one to do these. A guy goes to heaven or gets sent down from heaven. Oh, I guess you could go back to it's a wonderful life. That's our picture. OK, you're, you're a fat baby playing a harp on a cloud. No, it's a new heavens. It's a new earth. You're going to be busy and you're going to have responsibilities, some more, some less. You're going to have a job because remember, work came before the fall. So work was was God's idea for human beings based on his character and nature. We did it before the fall without the sweat, without the thorns. Why wouldn't we be doing work in heaven? Is God going to do some sort of mystical brain swipe on you? He's just going to etch a sketch your brain. You're you're not going to dig playing tennis or golf, whatever you're. You're you're not going to like any of those things anymore. You're just going to be satisfied with sitting around worshiping. Now I say that as an example without even taking a breath because we need to remember what worship is. Perhaps you immediately heard the word and thought, "Well, that's sitting around the throne. There's nothing better." I agree with you. Praising God, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb. I agree, but that's not all that worship is. Our lives are to be acts of worship. Everything we do is an offering unto God. That's very helpful, by the way, when you're battling sin, when you're tempted. Lord, I love you more than this sin. I'm not going to do this as an act of worship for you. So we can worship God in more ways. We'll be worshiping God for eternity, but it won't just be when we're sitting around the throne singing from a hymnal, which is what we'll be singing from. You will not hear a single Hillsong song in heaven. I'm that, Jimmy. I'm going to be dogmatic about that one. That one, I think, is no elevation worship. You're going to be singing from a hymnal, but that's not the only time you'll be worshiping him. You'll be doing everything enjoyable, everything that is good with your eye on Jesus. And that what is what makes it so glorified. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. French President Emmanuel Macron said earlier this week he plans to lobby for France to add abortion to the European Union Charter of Fundamental Rights. Murdering a defenseless unborn baby that didn't ask to be created is not something I would call a fundamental right. It is something, though, I would call evil, demonic, and something only a coward would do, but not a right. Sorry, President Emmanuel, you got this one wrong. Oh, and you should probably look into changing your first name because you're not wearing it very well at all. Well, local officials in the state of New Jersey are protesting a proposed new Chick-fil-A being built on Garden State Parkway because the CEO has biblical views on sexuality. And those are beliefs that make Chick-fil-A unworthy of being allowed on a taxpayer-funded highway. Do these quote-unquote crackdowns on biblical values harm or help Chick-fil-A? Let's explore this, shall we? I did some research. When we look at the top five fast food chains in the United States, of course, McDonald's comes in at the top spot with around $40 billion in annual sales coming from nearly 14,000 locations. Number two on that list, Chick-fil-A. And I'll come back to the numbers in just a second because I want you to see the rest of the top five first. Number three, Taco Bell, $11.2 billion in annual sales from around 6,800 locations. Number four, Burger King, $10.2 billion in annual sales from about 7,300 U.S. locations. And number five, Subway, $10.2 billion in annual sales from 23,000 U.S. locations. Okay, so back to Chick-fil-A. 
at the number two spot, they have $11.3 billion in annual sales from 2,500 U.S. locations. Oh, and they're closed on Sundays, too. So do you really think the New Jersey government is going to hurt them? I don't either. And staying in New Jersey, not all politicians from the Garden State are living with blinders on. Congressman Chris Smith has criticized his home state for passing what he calls an outrageous no-limits abortion law earlier this month. We talked about the law here on Wretched. It's a law Governor Phil Murphy signed last week that legalizes abortion or, or baby murder up to birth. But my question is, if you think it's perfectly fine to murder babies from conception to birth, then why stop there? Why not let parents murder their kids till they're 5, 6, 10 years old if they want? I guess it's not evil if you don't see it happening. But trust me, even if you don't see the baby you shamelessly murder, God does. And God doesn't forget. And a lot of conversations taking place this week about Michael Todd. He's a pastor from Oklahoma who spit in his hands multiple times during service this past Sunday and rubbed it across the face of another man. After video from the service went viral, Todd apologized, calling the illustration gross. He also said, quote, We just want people to see Jesus. Well, maybe they could if you didn't wipe your nasty spit in their eyes and just teach them how to read and study the Bible. But that might make too much sense. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called our sanctuary. Through Christ, we find refuge from God's justice and find a safe haven where we can enter into the presence of the Holy God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Bad host. I'm a very bad host. This is Friel. You don't need to tell us. This is Wretched Radio talking about Randy Alcorn failing to remember that Safely Home is sitting in our store. It's a book by Randy Elkhorn. It is the bomb diggity. Jimmy, you've started reading the book. Have you finished it yet? I did. You did? You read the whole thing. Well, you know, I pulled Todd. Um, you know, we just had a bunch of snow and was at home. Yes. Like you, uh, you finished a book at the end of the year. I finished a book too, but I just finished reading one. This thing is 402 pages long. I did. It was, uh, man, it's so good. It is. It's just a terrific book because it's it's theology mm. contextualized and from a perspective that will even help you buy, if you will, God's sovereignty better. There, there's just moving us from our current cultural context is powerful. And that's what this book does. It takes you to China and the underground church, the story of two men, former roommates at university in, in America. And, and from as you hear the Chinese Christian speak it because of the oppressive government that they're under, the understanding God and his sovereignty seems to come clearer. Let me give you an example of that. I have one. Jimmy, stop me if this gets boring, because I'm going to read a book here. <laughs> what happened to make you lose your first love? Now, gave away a little bit of the story, but the American guy claimed to be a Christian. Now, not so much. The Chinese Christian was at university, not nuts about his heritage of being a fourth generation pastor. But now the tables are really turned. The American is in China. The Chinese man is a pastor. And the other fellow has lost his first love. His response, who appointed you, my judge? If I am wrong, correct me. 
He clenched the steering wheel and looked straight ahead for five minutes, finally exhaling after college mom got sick, cancer. She died slowly, painfully. I remember. I was very sorry. I still am. Your mother was very kind to me when I stayed at your house that summer. That is a good thing, by the way. There's, there's, there's some helpful advice. When somebody lays a heavy on you, rather than just going, yeah, you lost your mom. I lost my mom and dad in the same time. No, just, and say nice things. Even if the person isn't a believer, you can say nice things about them. You're not compromising your Christian testimony by saying, you know what, your mom, every time I was over, that house smelled sweet because of her, and I just felt love in that house. You had a great mom. Nothing wrong with that. Back to our story. I'd forgotten we were still in touch when she died. Anyway, it made me question God. If he really loved me, loved my mom, why would he let that happen? Well, there's the question of evil popping up. And he's going to deal with it in this book, but it's in the context that will, I think, bring you some clarity. I remember I was at your house. I'd forgotten we were still in touch. Why would he let that happen? Other people's mothers suffer every day. Strange you did not blame God until it was your own mother. Oh, oh, wow. That should sting all of us. That we, we, we get agitated because it's personal. Shouldn't we be upset about things because they're happening to others? Back to our story, Safely Home. It's available at wretched.org. Well, sorry, Mr. Perfect, but she was the only mother I had. Who am I supposed to blame? If I were all powerful, I wouldn't let people suffer like that. <laughs> okay, I think you get the point. He's dealing with theology. And yet, when the Chinese man, from his perspective, shares nothing but biblical truth, it just feels different. Jimmy, did you kind of pick that up when you were reading this thing? Absolutely. It smacked me a hundred times, and it was good for me. Mm. It was very good for me, because if nothing else, this book will raise your eyes higher. It's, it's going to take them off of the earth so much. And it's going to cause you to think about getting safely home, just being there, making it through your testimony intact, that you are indeed going to heaven. It's, it's going to help you think on those things. It is called Safely Home by Randy Elkhorn, and you can find it at wretched.org. It is in our store, and I encourage you to read it. Okay, Jimmy, sorry, I can't help it, but I do love this book. Was there, was there anything in particular that you recall that was like, oh, that was good? Um. On the spot, uh, not particularly, but uh, I mean, just the just the whole story. Uh, what grabbed me was how we as Americans and you're kind of talking about that, but how we look at following Christ. There's no suffering to our following Christ. Yeah, there's there's exp isn't there. Uh, it's true of me. I, I and I see it sometimes in others or on the TV. But our expectation as Westerners, and, I, and I'm not saying that this is this has no truth in it and it's innately sinful per se, but we have an expectation of liberty, of peace, freedom, the ability to travel and come and go. Those those things, while good, believe me, I like them. While those things are good, it, it also influences me to think, well, I deserve that in every regard. Hmm. And then I become the autonomous self that the world has adopted as its attitude about God. And I look at God doing something that I dislike, and it's like, what's the big deal? Oh, I'm, what's, what's up with this? What are, you, what, what are you doing here? Where did that come from? Maybe it's because I have an expectation that this is how life should be. 
And it's not. Illness is another one. We try to come up with a medication for virtually everything to fix it on the spot. No suffering. No pain. Just get take three. Take an extra strength. Migraine strength Tylenol. Mm. Look, they're blessings. Don't get me wrong. But that can influence me. And this goes back to our conversation about hermeneutics. You bring this to your interpretive principles and practices when you read your Bible. You just do. I do. Everybody do. we got to scrub them. And sometimes it's healthy to see, perhaps, how we think as, in my context, American Christians versus a Chinese Christian can sometimes cause me to be a little bit introspective. I think the book does. It's safely home. It's at wretched.org. You can get it while you're sending emails to idom at wretched.org. Okay, this one comes from Zach, who says, Mr. 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 Friel, I have a friend who works. He left off a couple of misters, didn't he? He certainly did. That's okay. We'll give him a pass. He has a friend who works at a local water park, and he's been there as well. And he says all the women are um, scantily dressed. They certainly are. And so I stopped completely going. Is there any advice I could give to my friend or or plead to him to maybe quit and find another job that will help him stay pure in his ways? Jesus said, you've heard it said of old, thou shall not commit adultery. I say, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. If your eye offends you, take it out, pluck it out. Maybe changing careers. Wouldn't be a terrible idea. That would be the the euphemistic way, the metaphorical way to pluck out your eye so it doesn't offend you so that you don't sin. It's it's interesting. Somebody somebody recently asked about going to the beach. It's, It's the same thing. Specifically, though, the question was, should a man take off his shirt at the beach? Now, there are three reasons that I don't do that. Number one, planes would get diverted. The reflecting off of would be children would be frightened and all the men would feel terrible. Would be the three reasons I personally wouldn't do it. I think that we would do well instead of laying down a law for everybody because everybody's more spiritually mature. But to put myself into a context where I know I'm going to be tempted, I know it's going to happen there. That's just foolishness. You could take your friend to Proverbs. Uh, Run. Now, granted, the girls at the water park are not the woman calling in the street exactly, but they are. They're calling out for attention. They're asking you to look at them and to affirm their own opinion about their own bodies. And so, in a sense, they're like the proverbial woman that the wise father says to the son, run, get out of there. There's an, there's another principle. Flee immorality. Get away from it. Now, let's talk about each one of us for a second. You don't work at a water park. Okay. Where's your realm that you know there's a lot of possible temptations? Where is it? Is it maybe Going to going to a restaurant that serves alcohol, it, it could and it, you you struggle with this issue. Remember, you're not an alcoholic according to the Bible. You're a wine bibber or a drunkard, which means there's hope for you because God will help you overcome sin. But if that context causes you to be tempted, then just don't go. Don't just don't, what is it to give that up? What's the kind the the swimming pool? The gym is the gym a problem? Stop. You got to build a home gym. 
go go someplace where that does not happen because let me tell you the gym recently somebody asked me that question too uh the gym man um well you can do some things for instance your little cell phone listen to a sermon do your emails between sets but please be mindful of time some of us would like to use the equipment too you know put some put something godly in your ear it's a little hard to listen to a sermon and look with lust it's just it's just harder and you can distract just keep your eyes down and if necessary we simply have to heed the warning of jesus if your right hand offends you cut it off and it's really not that big of a sacrifice whatever the context is that tempts you is it this is wretched radio permit me to introduce you to brie and salvation dominoes Preborn style. When one person gets saved, they have that burning desire to just make him known the same way that was made known to them. And then it's just this domino effect. Bree currently volunteers at a preborn life center. How did she get saved? From a friend whose mother got saved at, you guessed it, a preborn life center. Why? Because preborn, it is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. And look at the domino effect. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28 for an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. It's New Year's resolution time. But before you make yours, I have a different type of challenge for you. How about instead of resolving to be a better person this year, you instead commit to leaving a legacy for Christ. And one surefire way you can do just that is by becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner. Currently, Wretched Radio and TV is seen and heard on nearly 1,000 stations combined worldwide. The second season of Road Trip to Truth has just been released with season three in production, solving the God puzzle on its way to one million copies distributed and transformed. Our latest TV series highlighting biblical counseling is set to debut later this year. We're striving to reach people all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're only able to do that with the support of our gospel partners. So would you prayerfully consider joining us? Just log on to wretched.org slash donate to get all of the details wretched.org slash donate so there you are on your googler machine trying to find a restaurant what do you look for ratings and reviews if it gets lots of stars positive reviews chances are pretty good you're gonna go there question would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98 percent approval rating and rave reviews i suspect you would metashare Affordable Biblical Health Sharing has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Attributes of God 
Psalm 115 verse 3 says that God does all that He pleases. God is sovereign over His whole creation. He has the right and the power to govern all things according to His will. Nothing occurs in your life that God, in His sovereignty, has not allowed. He is working all things for His glory and the good of those who love Him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Oh, oh, oh boy. Maybe you've wondered, probably not. Friel, do you ever get flop sweat? Not as a rule, but when it comes to beep talk, there's something about it that just makes me a little bit... <laughs> so if you'd like to see me sweat... Okay, that probably wasn't the best incentive. Please beep talk. Question, comment, conundrum, snark, one eight seven seven two eight two beep You can even leave a church sign. Church sign, life be cray-cray, but Jesus is the way-way. Oh, stop. <laughs> that church needs to read safely home, Jimmy. That's all I'm going to say right there. Uh, you got one of them there, uh, church sign for you. The normal is not coming back, but Jesus this is. is. Therefore, yep. get vaccinated. <laughs> no, no, it did not. I need to hear that again. I, he's making that up. Hey, uh, you got one of them there, uh, church sign for you. <laughs> the normal is not coming back, but Jesus is. Therefore, get vaccinated. Is that like a threat of judgment? Jesus is going to come back, and if you're not vaxxed, you're not going to make it? Well, okay, I don't know if that's what's going on, but it does cause me to remember that liberals, they they like to portray themselves as the nice people, the loving, the non-judgmental folks. Um, that was pretty judgmental right there. Church sign, if the sun, S-U-N, runs out, the sun, S-O-N, never will. Oh, wait, that was Todd. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, but at least, okay, this is funny because as I'm listening to it, it's like, okay, it's it's not like wrong. It's just kind of, duh, low, and it came from me. So that would make perfect sense now. But Jimmy, if I recall, in fairness to myself, <laughs> when I said that, I actually said, okay, here it comes. Yeah, you did. You I did. Was, so I was at least aware of how bad it was going to be. <laughs> Unlike a lot of church signs, one eight seven seven two eight two 282 a beep. Hey, Todd and gang. I'm 27 and I'm a longtime listener and viewer. Anyways, I was hoping to find out what that term means that you use something like Rexella. I can't find it on Google and I wanted to add it to my vocabulary. <laughs> You'll find it if you attached Van Impey. Rexella Van Impey, I believe she's still alive. Her husband, Jack, died maybe a couple of years ago. And and I remember watching his show and he was very focused on eschatology and time stuff. But he would he would he would call his wife's name regularly, and it, it's a bit of an unusual name. And he would constantly spew Bible addresses where he would say, you know, God really loves the world, John 3, 16. And so when I quote a Bible verse, I sometimes think of Jack. And so I express that by lovingly. This is not intended to be pejorative. So even though that he's dead, I'm, I'm, I was never mocking the guy. I would just say, oh, Ruxella, because that's what Jack would say. However, if you think that it is inappropriate to do that because 
he's dead or it would just be wrong to do that. Just note this before you send the email to idea at wretched dot org. That's not the it's just it's just a joke and it's not intended at all to be harmful. It was really just intended to be playful. But if you think it violates charity, kindness, goodness, not slandering somebody, then tell me at idea at wretched dot org or better yet, one eight seven seven two eight two. Mr. Friel, on January 18th, you said that Isaiah 53 spoke of God being pleased to crush his son. And you said, now, did God crush his son? No, humans did. And I would like to challenge that. Um, Paul Washer actually... Pre- Uh-oh. He's throwing down the Paul Washer card. I can't win this. This is a message where he said that the reason Jesus sweat drops of blood... Uh- I know where this is going. I agree totally that God indeed was pouring out his wrath on his son. Got to be careful with this. And I know Paul is, too, because I've heard him talk about this subject. Jesus was sweating drops of blood, not because he was a coward, not because he was merely upset about what was going to happen. And he knew how brutal it was going to be because he was well familiar with Isaiah 53. But God was in the garden. His passion began there where he was pouring out, as it were, drops of blood because God was already pouring out his wrath in an invisible way that we cannot see with our own eyes to pay for the sins of everybody who repents and puts their trust in Jesus. So when I was saying in the context of Isaiah 53 that God didn't crush, people did. I do believe that was, if it was January, I think we were talking about reprobation and the sovereignty of God. Right, that was Tuesday. Causality and causation. Mm -hmm. That, That a causality, the words are related, obviously. A causality is what describes it. The causation is actually the mechanism or the means that performs it. So I was simply trying to make the point that God uses human instruments. And by the way, speaking of which, I received an email. Ah, this was from Seth, I believe. He's got a good dad who works at Answers in Genesis. He said, hey, I can think I can think of a of a causation causality scenario right away in Genesis. This isn't an effort to try to explain evil. It's there. It's operating. God is sovereign over everything. How do I harmonize these things? It's it's not a simple task to be certain, but it is one that we must undertake if we are going to read all of our Bible verses and go, yeah, that's true. How do we harmonize that God appears to use demons or use something bad in order to get what he wants? And the answer is found in three levels of causation. You've got that God is sovereign over everything, that God is ordaining everything. But then you've got a proximate cause. The ultimate cause is God. The proximate cause is how he uses what is the idea the 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 cause the causality that makes this happen and we talked about what those were and then you've got yourself the efficient cause the one who actually does it and with that separation god therefore is the ultimate cause without being the one culpable for the evil that is committed Now, I know that that causes some people to go, whoa, wait a second. But you do see an example of this. Seth was right. You see it in the garden. There was a tree there. God planted it and gave a command, don't eat it. If he hadn't done that, there wouldn't have been a fall because there was no opportunity to sin. That was it. There's the rule, right? Just don't do that. And they did. 
Well, I guess God shouldn't have done that. No, God should do that, obviously, because he did it and it can't be sinful. Therefore, I see that God used a tree and it had a very bad effect, which ultimately has a good effect, which, by the way, is what makes the gospel not pragmatic because God is not culpable for the behavior of people. He is not the one who is ultimately No, I don't want to use the word ultimately. He's not the one who's responsible for perpetrating the evil. Furthermore, the serpent. They wouldn't have been tempted without the serpent. But God let the serpent loose. Why? Because God ordained it. And so we see that God, yes, indeed, he does crush his son in the garden, but he uses efficient causes to ultimately get what he wants. So I agree with Paul Washer. (laughs) Because otherwise I'd probably be a heretic. Hey Todd, calling about critical theory. And I've enjoyed your shows on the topic lately. You know, reading Truman's book, uh, it sounds like that critical theory basically is the deconstruction of society and law and religion so that people can have unfettered sexual activity. Yep. Would you agree or disagree? Yep. And yeah. Care to comment? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I would even add to that. I haven't read Carl's book yet, but I would also add to that. What does this represent? Okay, so so sexual promiscuity or perversion, if you will, it's it's not to confuse this with biblical counseling, but I think we can in this instance. It's a fruit. It, it, it's sinful, of course, but it's a fruit. There's something underneath it. And this takes me back to the phrase that I think should be coined to describe this era. It is an anti-God era. We are living in an anti-deism society. It's not just about promiscuity. It is about telling God, no, not going to do it. They obey themselves. They kick God off of his chair. They think they're going to sit down in it and rule their own lives. So I do agree with Carl that that is what's going on. But I think, though, too, and I, I don't know if he talks about this or not. I, I think for for entire liberation, Sex is always the one, and you see that in Romans chapter 1. That is the thing that gets used most often for a culture to become contaminated. That's the door. Why? Because, well, everybody's tempted by that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and a lot of people go with it. And so it gets used to completely deconstruct a, a country. So, yeah, I do believe that that's the goal, but it's also the means. But ultimately, underneath all of it, whatever we see the devolving of society, especially the casting off of good. I'm not talking about a wicked totalitarian regime. I'm, I'm talking about when, when good things are broken down. Yeah, it's deconstruction. Yeah, it's about promiscuity. But more than anything, it's about them hating God. That's why they need the gospel and not just debates over social issues. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.